Hello, this is Caleb Keith, the director of the 1517 Podcast Network, with an important announcement from the network to you. During the month of June, your favorite podcasts from 1517 are going to be participating in a podcast fundraiser. During this time, we are seeking to raise $50,000 for the 1517 Podcasts. The 1517 Podcast Network has created free gospel-centered content for over five years. We have new episodes of our 19 podcasts coming out every day of the week, and we never fill them with ads or place them behind a paywall. That's why this June, we're asking listeners across our shows to support 1517 and the teachers and creators behind your favorite theological resources. Your support directly impacts our ability to build and maintain podcast content that was listened to over 6 million times last year alone. Thank you to the listeners who enjoy and share our podcast, and a special thanks to those who financially support our shows. We hope that you consider supporting this podcast and the rest of the network during our June fundraiser. And again, that goal is $50,000. One of the easiest ways you can help is by signing up for a monthly reoccurring donation. All you have to do is follow the support this show link at the top of the show notes or go to 1517.org slash donate dash podcasts to support your favorite shows. Again, we appreciate your support. Enjoy this episode of your favorite 1517 podcast. Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely. And a world given back to us, this is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend, the Doctor, Michael Berg, um, and my dear friend and colleague, not Jason, who is unwilling to come on the podcast because he's in a different state, very stubborn, um, but from Campus Ministry, from the CMO, as we say here at WLC, and I would play Come to the wells at this point, but I don't have it queued. But that's a different CMO. Yes. Gregory, <coughs> Curtis, do you remember the second? It's an A. Andrew? Yes. Curtis, Very well Andrew, done. Lion. Okay. You know whose middle name I always forget? I always want to say it, but I always want to say, is it Keith? Me? Yeah. John. John. That's Isaiah's Where did middle Keith name come from? I don't it's not know. even close. Yeah. I, well, I think I was. I wanted to say Michael Scott, but I know it's not that. That's the office. But then I think I thought Scott Keith, who is our boss at 1517. So Michael John. Michael John. Do you know mine? Robert. Oh, see? Now I feel bad. It is Robert, indeed. The, uh, we are here in the podcast studio, and we're going to be doing the third uh, installment in our three-part series um, dealing with first death. So you can go back listen to that if you want. Disappointment. And then uh, today, despair. We're going to work doubt in there. And then not a C word, but a, a word that we plan to, to use. Acedia or Mike? Inui. Inui. I think that's how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, so we will be talking uh, despair especially. Um, Let the Bird Fly is a podcast of the 1517 Podcasting Network. I encourage you to go to 1517.org. Check out all the good stuff they're doing there. 
publishing house, academy courses, lots of podcasts, daily articles. I just had one the other day. Michael has one today. I think that was a repeat which I, today. Which I shared. Yeah. Um, I think that was a repeat day. Oh, Must that's all right. Well, anything. it was good. It was the one word one. I thought Thank it sounded you. familiar. And, uh, and so we encourage you to go to 1517.org. Check that out. You should have before this. Um, hopefully I remember to put in, uh, they are doing the fundraising now for the 1517 Podcasting Network. All these podcasts are provided free without commercials, um, and uh, you can help support that, uh, making these resources available, should you choose to give in that way. And Michael, lest we go too long, I will simply say, if you haven't, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate it. Apple Podcasts, it's certainly helpful. Five stars is great. Michael always says four stars because he likes to get me upset. Although we've got some great four-star reviews lately that include digs, unfortunately, usually at me. Um, but they were funny. I appreciated them. Oh, but they're you, funny, yeah. Yeah. So you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get our podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Very much appreciate it. Share on social media. We've been active posting stuff on Facebook and Twitter. And we're going to get back to the YouTube videos one day eventually. With that being said, Michael, we can keep this as one of our shortest intros ever. Would you give us the disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because well, right as into this music when you're done. Keep going. Responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what I you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look Check around, out and this. realize you were just listening to a podcast. podcast. That's right. That's right. Podcast. Keep going. So go live free, friends. And don't let us get in the way. I messed it up. I messed it up last episode, and I said I wouldn't. Sorry. That was not a smooth transition. Okay. All right, I was going to read something nicely over the music, which is why I messed it up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read something, Michael. Is that okay? And then you're going to guess who this is. Okay. Okay. I highlighted a ton of this. I was reading this uh, yesterday and today to prepare. Is despair an advantage or a drawback? Regarded in a purely dialectical way, it is both. If one were to stick to the abstract notion of despair without thinking of any concrete despairer, one might say that it is an immense advantage. The possibility of this sickness is man's advantage over the beast, and this advantage distinguishes him far more essentially than the erect posture, for it implies the infinite erectness or loftiness of being spirit. The possibility of this sickness is man's advantage over the beast, to be sharply observant of this sickness constitutes the Christian, Christian's advantage over the natural man. To be healed of this sickness is the Christian's bliss. You want to guess, Michael? Bonhaver. No, you're not far off, though. I'll give you a little more. Um, let me see here. Sase. So it is that Christianity has taught the Christian to think dauntlessly of everything earthly and worldly, including death. 
It is almost as though the Christian must be puffed up because of this proud elevation above everything men commonly call misfortune, about, above that which men commonly call the greatest evil. But then in turn Christianity has discovered an evil which man as such does not know of. This misery is the sickness unto death. What the natural man considers horrible when he has in his wise enumerated everything and knows nothing more than he can mention, this is for the Christian this for the Christian is like a jest. Such is the relation between the natural man and the Christian. It is like the relation between a child and a man. What the child shudders at, the man regards as nothing. The child does not know what the dreadful is. This the man knows, and he shudders at it. The child's imperfection consists, first of all, in not knowing what the dreadful is, and then again, as an implication of this, in shuddering at that which is not dreadful. And so it is also with the natural man. He is ignorant of what the dreadful truly is, yet he is not thereby exempted from shuddering. No, he shudders at that which is not dreadful. He does not know the true God, but this is not the whole of it. He worships an idol as God. Luther. No, it kind of can sound like that. It's my boy Soren from The Sickness Unto Death. I thought I was going to go Kierkegaard right away, but then I'm like, I don't think. I said him a lot yesterday, yeah. Because you want to know why? Because I understood that, so I didn't think it was Kierkegaard. Here's only one (laughs) remark more, he says. Doubtless a a superfluity, but for that I am willing to assume the blame. I would call attention once for all to the fact that in this whole book, as the title indeed says, despair is conceived of as the sickness, not as the cure. So the dialectical is despair. So also in the Christian terminology, death is the expression of the greatest spiritual wretchedness, and yet the cure is simply to die, to die from. All three of those could have said, although Luther wouldn't have used the word dialectical. Yeah. But it's pretty darn good, isn't it? Yeah, that's good. And then it gets weird. I'm not going to lie. It gets a little weird yeah. at parts. Yeah. But then it also, it gets good. Okay. So, um, but what I'd like to start with with that is the idea of despair and Kierkegaard is wrestling with, well, is despair an advantage that we're capable of despair? And I think that builds on our disappointment topic that we had the other day where, Mike, you were able to unpack that we get disappointed whether we realize it or not because we, we know we're meant for something more and that things shouldn't be this way. And I think with the question of despair, um, Kierkegaard, um, I did not read that section, but he impacts in there, is that we can only really truly despair in the sense we usually mean despair because we're in relation to another, namely to God. Right? We, there's, we despair in relation to that thing. Um, we can despair in relationship to self or despair in relationship to neighbor, but especially with despair, we usually mean in relation to God or the divine or the universe. Whether you admit it or not. Right. And so I think just for framing our discussion today, we took disappointment and I think we had a lot in there that could have been just generic, you know, we're disappointed, we're meant with something more. Um, you know, this is a contact point, the unbeliever is disappointed. I think with despair, um, maybe just as we begin that we frame it as this is a, this is a we mean it in a religious sense. Um, so despair as the Christian might despair and doubt um, the right the, the father of the the boy that he, uh, the man wants Jesus to heal says Lord I do believe help thou my unbelief um, and if we're going to talk about it with the unbeliever uh, we're going to mean it in the sense of despair as hopelessness 
right? Um, yeah, I think if you, like, how do you distinguish between disappointment and despair? I think the lack of hope. Yeah. And the despair can be a good thing if it's a lack of hope in self. Right, yeah. Well, and so disappointment for the subheading we had, life without meaning. For despair, we're going to be talking about life without hope, which is, I would say, even more terrifying than disappointment, life without without meaning. Because I may have times where I don't understand the meaning of everything, but I have hope. In fact, that's your childhood in many ways. Um, but to be without hope, uh, then what's the point of, of even searching for meaning? Yeah, disappointment assumes that there's, you know that something better is somewhat attainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least theoretically, despair is. I don't think I can attain that. You may know. You may know that it exists. You may not. You may deny that it exists. This thing that you hope for, but despair is. I can't. I can't get there. Yeah. Which is which is what makes that a uniquely spiritual mm-hmm. relation to right. God thing. Because how often do we hear people who are in despair in relation to neighbor say things like, "Well, it could always be worse." Right. In relation to neighbor, yes, it could always be worse. In relation to God, God doesn't have a worse. Right. Right. So despairing to neighbor doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And frankly, the it could always be worse argument is kind of a silly one anyways. That doesn't really help me. But Right. And, and so with that in mind then maybe, why don't we begin with then as we talk to how we relate to God um, I'm guessing other denominations do this as well, but I know we Lutherans do this a lot because this stood out to me when I came into Lutheranism, um, and partly maybe because um, the now sainted Professor Deutschlander used to really drive this home. He would talk about the ditches, um, but the the two great ditches that the religious can fall into um, sometimes are presented as uh, legalism or licentiousness, but that's more of a moral take, right? Um, we could also speak of it as self-righteousness or despair. That's the two ends of the, of the spectrum. I, and, I like, and, and self-righteousness, in, in the end, ultimately usually leads to despair. Yeah, and I think uh, to keep it with the words that start with D, yeah. is delusion, delusion in yourself. Yep. That you can, that, that, that things, are, things are looking up for me, like I can get there. Yeah. Uh, I, so when I teach that, I say... Um, honest despair or foolish delusion, right? But yeah, it's it's self righteousness or what? And and the previous thing that you talked about, it's very Aristotelian, right? The golden mean, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily a bad way to think about things, right? There's uh, virtue and vice can be the same thing can be a virtue and a vice, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful. Right. right, but we're talking about something different. We're talking about two polar things where you you either are delusional in your self righteousness and hope in yourself in this world or whatever, or an honest despair in yourself. Those are the, I, I think those are the yeah. And 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 I've heard um, I heard more than one professor when we were going through the system say that they'd rather work with the tax collector than the Pharisee. Right, that rather deal with the person in despair than with the self-righteous, but maybe I'll throw it to you too, just to unpack a little bit, just pastorally, um, you know, theologically, but pastoral theology, applied theology, 
what do we mean when we're saying these are the two ditches? Um, what leads to these ditches? Why is it kind of held that these are inevitabilities, whether we say delusion or despair? Um, what uh, what's the in, is that not even a helpful image? No, or I, is it? I think it is because um, on the one side, a d- delusion is somebody who is not yet fully appreciated the law, right? Or has not applied the law to themselves. For those who are falling into despair, often it is somebody who is, and I, I like this phrase, even though it's it's a bit of a, it's not an oxymoron, but it's a, it's a, it's a play on words, I suppose, but honest, you're cursed with honesty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People can be cursed with honesty about themselves. Someone was asking me the other day, "What a, um, what do you like about Kierkegaard?" Because I mention it sometimes, and 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 that was what I thought was, he's honest. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I, I appreciate now that honesty can can be in different ways. Like sometimes we get all worked up about the the four horsemen of atheism and uh, their adherents. Uh, think of like a Bill Maher, who's who. Who says something like, "No, I, I, he's obviously atheist and doesn't like religion. And thinks religion is on the whole bad." But he's like, "They're not all the same." <laughs> they you know, he's willing to say that. And sometimes, the atheist is the the only honest person in the conversation. Right. But but what I'm talking about is the the curse of honesty is somebody who is so honest about their condition um, that they just cannot think that God could love them, right? Um, and at that point, I've said this to a couple different people, is like, you're talking your way out of God's grace. So I'm going to be the theologian, and you're going to listen for a second, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to be, and what we mean by that is theology is proclamation. I'm now going to proclaim truth I'm going to gonna you. turn you outside of yourself, because the the inner theologian can only do delusion or despair. Yeah, and and... That's a good way to frame it. Is that on both sides you're curved in, right? Yeah, you're just one is honest, one is delusional. Yeah, and I I think in that honesty, like you said, it it is a helpful thing. But there also comes a point where you can be honest when you now I'm going to be the truth teller to you. You don't get to unnail Jesus from the cross. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't ask. Right. Your opinion it's on like how a, it's how not like low, a Lego crucifix, right? On how low or how high you are, he didn't ask your opinion. So I think there's a there's a club of the gospel that sometimes <laughs> can be helpful. Yeah, and and that that honesty is sometimes honesty can blind you to other things, and that's a really weird way to say it. But I'm so honest about this one thing. I'm so wrapped up into this one thing that I don't want to listen to any other side. Right. Well, right. and I, I think any human experience or any human teaching, right, the temptation can become to, to systematize this. And so it almost becomes epistemological where this is just how I know or judge things. And I think the, the honest person who's caught up in despair or delu- del- um, delusion, but more often the honest person is caught up in despair, Uh can now see everything through the lens of that, right? And it, and it easily, quickly becomes a nihilism. 
And it may be a more personal nihilism than a thoroughgoing nihilism that some have. Uh, but when, it, when, when my despair becomes a lens for seeing all things, the only thing that's going to break through is, I like that, the club of the gospel or proclamation. Um, and, and, and we can do that. The, the, the Pharisee, and there were plenty of Pharisees that probably despaired. I always feel bad using the term Pharisee just for yeah, self-righteousness. That's, that's right. Um, but the self-righteous or the deluded also are are systematizing things. They're creating a lens, um, and that's just the legal scheme, right? Everything is seen in this quid pro quo, point-keeping, relational thing. Um, and so I think where despair can be a tool that we can work with um, is that at least the person has exhausted themselves. Uh, where it can become problematic, I think, as as you guys are pointing out, um, is where it becomes the default uh, that there that there can't be any anything else, and and this is maybe the 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 thing with the gospel is the gospel isn't anything else, right? Paul was given it not in words taught by men, it's the dynamis, it's the power of God for salvation. Uh, it's revealed to us, and and so. The gospel is not like another tool in the toolbox that you just haven't tried. The gospel is not just another path or another lifestyle um, or even another worldview. Uh, the gospel is a revelation, a proclamation from God, sometimes a club you have to be hit over the head with. Um, and uh, precisely because, and maybe this is a good point to mention, Asidia or Michael. And Nui. And Nui. Because maybe this sometimes is the prelude to despair. And it's something that uh, we don't talk about a lot in Protestantism, although I did find some Protestant resources on this. But it was very important theologically for quite some time. Uh, Dante talks about it, if you're familiar with, with Dante. Um, but Asidia kind of being this bored, negligent, tired, um, just blah, like a malaise. Is that how you say the word, malaise? Uh, that can infect or uh, affect the Christian. And maybe this is where a lot of people find themselves before despair, or maybe they never get full to despair, but they're still in the doubt, or what was the other D you gave us, Michael? Delusion. Or it, or so that um, that would be the self righteousness. But they're in the doubt, or it, they're in the uh, the just um, disenchanted, uh, disinterested. I I think many, uh, while depression certainly is not merely a spiritual thing, and the church has gotten better, I think, at understanding that. Um, but this can be something that can come with as a, a spiritual cross in the midst of clinical depression as well, where you just feel shut off from things. You feel disconnected from things. And uh, it's more than a disappointment. It's not just, ah, uh, things aren't what they're supposed to be. But there's a next level to it. And these can be things, as I noted, that are, are physical, and, and the early church recognized this with the CDA too, that there could be physical symptoms. 
It can be mental where you should be talking to someone and, and maybe even there's medication. Uh, but it can, it can have uh, spiritual... Um, uh, Luther would have spoken of it as, as melancholy, uh, and sometimes it got spoken of as anfectum, where you could you felt like you could smell the very fires of hell. Um, we maybe speak of it as tentatio, as a time of temptation or testing. But this is a, a regular part of the Christian life, and, and sometimes as pastors, we've had the experience where someone will come, and they'll say, because of this, because of this numbness, I think I've lost my faith, and then the joy as a pastor is to give the quip, right, that we all learned, well, you wouldn't be here if you had, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that can be very hard to minister to someone in that, and I don't mean simply as a minister, but lay people in their relationships as well, and, uh, and to not fall back on platitudes, to not think that somehow, like, this person's numb, and so now it's your job to, like, set the spark, to get them going, um, but to be a, a gospel voice and maybe even sometimes a voice, yeah, but also um, just someone who's there. Uh, Greg, you've done work with this with uh, your counseling courses now, Michael, with pastoral care. I'll throw it to you guys. I don't know if I'm describing it well, but the word despair, some, some people might hear and go, well, I'm not despairing. But if we can kind of grow the umbrella maybe a bit. Um, anything that comes to mind for you guys? Yeah, I'll start here. I I think sometimes, like Mike was saying before, honesty in despair is, is a good thing. Sometimes I wonder if this numbness is just an avoiding of being honest with yourself. Um, I, I run into plenty of well-meaning young Christians who are angry for all the right reasons because dad did whatever when I was a kid, you know, like those kind of things. But they know that anger is a sin, so I'm not going to do that. So, so they live in this numb, avoiding nature, and whether that's a CDR or not, I don't know. But pastorally, I have found it very helpful to free people to be broken. Um, join the tax collector. This is, uh, Luther wrote to Spalatin. This is one of my favorite short translations uh, when Luther was addressing Spalatin's melancholy. And he said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, you seem to want a painted savior for painted sin. You might as well admit that you're a real sinner and that Christ is a real savior. So just this idea of be honest with your brokenness. If you're angry, try that out on God and see if he can handle it. Um, you know, the tax collector did. Mm-hmm. He, I don't suspect that Jesus told that story so that we could all say, oh, so the tax collector, finally he got it. No, the tax collector... Or that the magic formula is self-deprecation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he was crying out expecting nothing. But what he got was grace. Yeah. So what David says, it a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. So and be honest about your brokenness. That is what Luther means by sin boldly. Yes. Usually misunderstood, but like... Wait, just, he doesn't mean... 
he doesn't enjoy he doesn't, sinning. He just just go. You didn't carve that into the side all of his all these years, pint and you glass? never told me this. Yeah. <laughs> I am in trouble. Yes, your life is completely different. Uh, or like uh, James Nessigan would say, he would talk about people confessing like a real big juicy sin, like a real one. You know, uh, that's being honest, right? And and it's good despair because you're despairing in yourself. You're no longer trying to find a different avenue, as you said, like numbness. And I think. Sadia may and a better word or more a word that people would understand better, sloth, right? Mm-hmm. Probably is the result of that numbness. Mm-hmm. Because then I have no motivation and we often, as we said before, uh equate that wrongly with laziness. Right? But it's not really laziness, it's uh, a lack of motivation because of of some spiritual problem. And it may be that that numbness that you talked about. Like, it's just easier not to deal with it, just to go through life numb. Is that kind of what you're after? Yeah. But, yes. But I think what, what I also see, and I, I don't want to... I'm taking counseling courses. This does not make me a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So I want to be really cautious about what I'm saying, right? But I'm I'm just... I'm going to hear what he says as a psychologist saying it. Does that sound fair, Michael? Oh, I'm lying down on the couch right now. Yeah. By the way, I just read that Aristotle taught by walking because he thought that would engage people's like mind, and he thought that you should write poetry lying down because that would enhance your like your imagination. And Freud, so you need one of those Seinfeld yeah, astronaut and, pens. And so, and Freud took that, and that's why Freud insisted that his They'd be closer to their dreams if they were lying. Oh, down. fascinating. Surprised you didn't know that in counseling <laughs> class. <laughs> so So okay, let me let me start over Sorry. then. This Thanks. is this is not at all a counseling class, rather As just an observation. Of the Let the Bird Fly <laughs> podcast. No, but how often do you see this numbness turn into something where somebody says, I just want to feel something? Yeah. So the the deep seated whatever the deep seated is anger, frustration, despair, whatever it is, it's going to come out somehow. Um. So then I'm feeling so numb, and y'all can fill in the blank for the ways that we just try to feel something. And yeah, I and you're you're talking from the point of view mostly of like young people or college students, right? I can remember saying this a few times to people in marriages that there was, you know, they were fighting and stuff like that. And I said, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying there's not problems. I'm not saying we're going to try to try to fix this, but just so you know, there's plenty of, plenty of married people who would like anything, mm-hmm. which I think is maybe in the adulthood of like, I just don't feel anything. We're just going, we're just, we're just going through the motions kind of thing that, uh, yeah, there's, uh, that, that may be even worse. Right, right. The, the numbness, depending on the situation. And and I think maybe we see there, too, um, how these things can often go together when, and, and this is this is especially um, the damage that's done when the church wrongs someone. And we'd be naive to, to think that there's not plenty of people who have been wronged by churches and, and or by church leaders. And what we mean by that is not the, the abuse that is so in the news, but theologically have done abuse sure mm-hmm. and um that often becoming 
numb towards God can shut me off from neighbor, but in turn, if one's hurt, hurt me horizontally, shutting off from neighbor can lead to numbness toward God. Um, that, and maybe this fits with the ascidia somewhat, that the, the vertical and the horizontal, there's a reason there's both at play in the Lord's Supper, for instance, um, or in baptism where we're now put into community, are very much um, related to each other. I think it. I think this is why people will often ask when someone horizontally in a neighbor relationship hurts me, how could God vertically let this happen? Right. The theology is embodied. And there's a embodiment right. there. Yeah. yeah. And so we can often see a connection between what I'm doing poorly spiritually, my marriage is worse, almost inevitably. Um, when my marriage is struggling, I struggle in my relationship with God. Right? That's just in my experience. Now, thankfully, my marriage is just stellar 99.9% of the time, but sometimes the lines lose or something. And you know, um, but, and uh, 99.99% of the time, it's because Trisha made it right. Yeah. Uh, but there is, I think, that aspect of the, the vertical and the horizontal that play very importantly. I mean, you, you read biographies of Luther's life, and um, often when he's withdrawn from people struggling with depression is also when he writes angsty stuff, right? Not that he had lost his faith. But that advice he gives to Spalatin, who is um, a counselor for um, basically the, the government um, in electoral Saxony, but then later becomes a pastor at the end of life, and he, and he also struggles with melancholy, with depression, we might call it today, right, where Luther had to live that, right? You need a real Jesus. You mm-hmm. need a real Savior, um, and, and so to go back to that, that turning outside of yourself that we were hitting on before, well, when I'm turned outside of myself, I'm turned outside of myself toward two ends. I, I see a God who loves me and I see a neighbor who's gift. Um, and so I think that's how we see through the law gospel way of looking at things how the vertical and the horizontal are um, connected. But maybe we can hit on just a little bit because I do think sometimes there's misunderstandings. And I mentioned the church hurting people, and this is how the church can hurt people even more sometimes. Um, When we do give the sense of that, well, the Christian way is to just suck it up horizontally. You just put up with whatever, right? You're the the, um, punching bag. And uh, and then right that's get, is given vertical weight for your relationship with God, and I think Greg, you mentioned you know dealing with students, and I think all of us dealing with um, members in the parish or brothers uh, in ministry, even what is the place? I'll throw it to you guys. What is the place for saying um, you have value to God? He's loved you this much. You have dignity. So there may be a place for shutting yourself off somewhat to certain neighbors mm-hmm. as, so as to not have an opening uh, right, for more harm, um, but while also not shutting yourself off from all neighbor um, and, and not letting that um, feeling of hurt 
of lack of value uh, that can come from being right broken by something uh, in fact relationship with with God I think in the past maybe the church erred on the side of you just you suck it up you take it you know I mean think of just domestic abuse and how often women were just the default was well this is just your lot um, but I think there is a, a side on the opposite of where as is your you hit on Greg I think at least um, where we can become well just I'm I'm not going to be vulnerable for anyone because if I'm vulnerable, I'm hurt. Mm. I get hurt. And it's almost impossible to live with neighbor and love neighbor. <coughs> love is a vulnerable thing. I'll throw it to either of you. I'm going to mute myself again, but hopefully I'm making some sense. When well, I'm let me say it. one thing, and then, Greg, you can, you'll can you speak better to this. But um, as you were talking, I can't help but think about um, how maybe in our in our modern world, that we reduce everything to only the word depression. And, and what we mean by that is clinical depression, right? And that the, the church has to be very careful not making it always spiritual as if there was not something that was could be treated chemically or from uh, secular forms of psychology. But at the same time, to go the other direction and reduce it only to, to the brain matter um, and and ministering to a person only via uh, a secular slash chemical way, it's good for us to put these words like acedia out there, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And like it's not just it's it's not just physical. There is there's a spiritual component going on here, and just what an ad- advantage and I think an opportunity and perhaps a lost opportunity in many, many eras would be the Christian counselor who understands that. Yeah, and I think if the church is trending in one direction right now, which it's hard to overgeneralize, um, but more and more we are defaulting to the psychologists. Um, it seems that way. Uh, I talked to a number of pastors who were, they just lit, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. And, and I often wonder, um, if if it is such a great gift for pastors to be the mouthpiece of God, what message does it send when those same pastors are not? God has nothing to say to you in your deepest, darkest moment. But if you have a question about how to increase your faith, then come in and yeah. talk to me. Um, so yeah, I think I think there are any number of missed opportunities there. Um, you know, you want to be careful. The, the Christian counselor has a code of ethics that they have to live by and they have to function by. So the Christian counselor is not going to be the person's pastor. Um, but in relationship to neighbor, Wade, I think something that you were saying, I I think it's it's good for us, whether as pastors or just as human beings, when people are frustrated with neighbor and that affects their relationship with God, I wonder if sometimes that's because we give them the trite responses, like all things will work out for good. Or, um, you know, have you ever given much thought to the end of Matthew 18? Anyone who does not forgive their brother or sister like this um, will be cast out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord's Prayer is a problem for some people too. Right. You know, so 
So if I don't... By some people, you mean me. Yeah. That's a hard petition. Yeah. Yeah. But can be hung up that and fall into despair. Like, I cannot be forgiven because I have not forgiven somebody. So I I think there's a good space for us as neighbors to sit with those. You know, Roman says, rejoice with those who, who rejoice, but also mourn with those who mourn. We can sit with them and say, what happened to you or what you experienced is not okay. Um, your despair right now, especially when it's a sin committed against you, your despair right now makes sense. It stands to reason that you would have an exceptional amount of anger with your loved one who hurt you this way. That makes sense. Now, in the midst of all of that making sense, you have a God who values you so much more than this person did. Um, so kind of like we talked about with death, grief and hope can stand side by side. Sometimes I want to be careful how I say this, despair and hope can kind of stand side by side. And I don't think in a way that like, um, what was it? Tillich who kind of made doubt a virtue. Uh, am I right? Is it Tillich or, uh, um, not in a way that we want to say like, oh, yep, you should despair because then you'll hope more. Not like right. sin that grace may abound, but it is who needs hope. It's the person who's tempted to despair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even with the idea of forgiveness, you know, how many, I, if I forgive that person, that means that I'm saying what they did to me is okay. Well, of course it doesn't. Uh, forgiveness has the implication that someone has hurt you deeply. And um, sit with those who have been hurt deeply and give them space to hurt because um, every time we go through these hurts, these challenges, whatever, it reminds us once again, this place is not good enough for us. Yeah. And maybe connected to that. And I think it hits maybe a little bit with the counseling thing too, or even just um, sometimes as pastor, our temptation can be, we're going to fix you, like counsel you out of this in a way of fixing you, which isn't always possible. Um, but maybe this is right. Despair. Uh, if if we're thinking of a book written that maybe is helpful for thinking about despair, would be Job. Um, and Job sits with some friends who just are uncomfortable not talking. Right, they're uncomfortable mourning with those who mourn, as you mentioned, and they feel the need to say something. And the problem of saying something when you don't have a word of God, it's good to say something when you have a word of God, and there are words of God to be spoken to the despairing. Um, But they want to say something in a way that either uh, kind of gives a narrative that explains what happened to Job or that protects God, um, which is something God doesn't ever ask us to do, by the way. That's a very... uh, Christianity is a weird religion in that it doesn't have a bunch of... Like in the New Testament, there's not a bunch of blasphemy laws. Our God's like... It's disappointing. He's pretty confident... Um, but also willing to take abuse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that I mean, Job could be like three chapters. The big portion of, it's one of, one of the weird books of the Bible in this, is the big portion of Job is just terrible advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you took that part out, uh, and Job never gets the, he never gets the theodicy. He doesn't get the, the rationale. He doesn't get the, the perfect answer. 
but he he gets the resurrection, right? He gets hope. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that's inspired hymns. We speak that at committals. I would say also with David and the Psalms, and I know I, I say this a ton, but one of the most helpful things Bonhoeffer says is that that Christ has taken up the Psalms and prayed them and given them back to us for us to pray with him. And when you read the Psalms in that light, I think for those tempted to despair or to numbness, um, Asidia or Michael. Anui. Anui. Um, I want to check if I, that's right. Yeah. But we have... Can figure out how to spell it first. Yeah. E-N-N-U-I. But we have a kinship then with David and with Christ. When we say, and when you do that, you go, oh, imagine Christ, he... This is his prayer for when this happened. Um, we, well, what does David so often do? David doesn't hold back from from asking or complaining, or or um, being Ennui. upset. Guys, shoot. Ennui. Ennui. You were saying it close enough, Mike. And the British pronouncement is. Ennui. All right. You were saying You're it way off. Ennui. Um, but I, I think along those lines, right, David does all that, but how do so many of the Psalms end? They just end with hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and not with like a, not a, just a resignation to none of these things matter, but just there's there's what's in my control, there's not, there's not what's in my control, but there's a gracious God. And so mm-hmm. um, Psalm 4 always stands out to me, verse 8, right? I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell mm-hmm. in safety. Um, and... The despairing person or the one who feels numb, if we want to take it up beyond just the religious level, there's whole industries set up to be Job's friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, I would, I'm not saying that therapy is one of those, but there's schools of therapy or aspects of therapy that I would put in there that you're just going to trick yourself out of it. or Try to make the delusional real. Right. Um, that... You know, one of the things the church can do, as you said, with mourning with those who mourn, Gregory, is is to stick to the words God has given and to be willing to just some... It would have been really awkward for Job's friends to sit with him for, what is it, 51 chapters or something like that? That's a long time to sit. I mean, what's a long... I bet you've only ever sat with me for like three chapters, Michael. Maybe. It probably feels like 51, I'm going to look up how many chapters are in Job. I think I'm, now I'm 16. concerned we're just making no. stuff up in this podcast. 47. 42. 42 or 42. 47. 42. Okay. 42. Go ahead now, Greg. Yeah, so two things that, that come to mind. First of all, I, I've read... 42. A, I'm impressed, Gregory. I've read a few studies that have come out recently from various psychologists with a Christian bent who are um, empirically studying the value of lament and particularly with an eye towards lament from the Psalms um, because lament is obviously a strong theme of the Psalms, but you, but you see lament standing side by side with trust. Yep. Um, so the, the mental value of lament, I think is there now. Uh, and the lament goes beyond disappointment, Yes, right? Lament, disappointment gets, it shouldn't be like this. Um, lament goes beyond it shouldn't be like this, and now I'm sad. I, mm-hmm. I like that you connect it with lament is set next to hope mm-hmm. and even joy. So it's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, yep, it's not how it should be. Bummer. There's more. Yeah, and 
implied there too is trust, right? Um, all the verses where David says, but I trust in you. Uh, why aren't you listening to my prayer? But I trust in you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other thing I was going to say, though, is um, if you want to talk about the antidote to despair, and I think this is where the church often goes wrong in a well-meaning way. And I, when I say church, I don't, I don't just mean pastors. I mean church people. Where the antidote to despair is something from within you. Mm-hmm. So it's faith. And my job then prayer. becomes, as fellow Christian, becomes awakening that for you. Yes. Um, when you look at the actual antidote to despair, it's all over Job. It comes from the outside. Mm-hmm. It's the antidote to despair is given to him. It's not something that he's manufacturing in and of himself. So if you want to say faith is the antidote to despair, you better be, be really clear about where faith is coming from. That I, I'm not going to just suddenly maneuver it in and of myself. Or somebody will just say something like, you know, maybe you should pray more. Yes, prayer is a good thing, but now you're trying to create the antidote on your own, and that doesn't work. And I think this is, uh, Thinking Fellows had just a really good episode uh, the other day on Christianity being kind of a doctrinal religion. And as I was... um, Listening to it, they didn't necessarily hit on this part, but what, but what really strikes me is um, the, the ultimate, one of the chief differences between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, and Lutheranism tries to bridge this gap a bit, but is Roman Catholicism at the end defaults to the cultic, not cult in a bad way, but to worship, to devotional practices, to piety, it's not that doctrine's unimportant, but I, Roman Catholic Church throughout much of its history realized for the lay people, the, the there's lay- going to be popular piety, there's going to be acts of devotion, and even the great saints are celebrated, many of them, not for their doctrinal treatises, but for life. Um, Protestantism and kind of the move to sola scriptura, well, now the be-all and end-all is, is teaching, and... And right, countenance and others wrestle with it. Well, what's the point of tradition? What's the point of piety, of devotion? Uh, and I think sometimes the question of despair becomes even a, a bigger question for Protestants. Um, and I would lump Roman Catholicism in with non-Christian religions too that are also cultic, right? Piety, dev- I mean, you talk to the Buddhist and you're not going to get, there's no Augsburg Confession of Buddhism, um, there's no Nicene Creed of Hinduism. Uh, but you, there's some sense of relief in being able to fall back on piety or devotion or the cultic. I'm going to, you know, and this is what, as Lutherans, we say, go through the motions, right? Ex opera or whatever. Um, I'm going to go through the motions. And I think Protestantism in rightly getting, like, how is that going to work out for you to go back from a theme from the previous episode? Uh, it it just you just have that word, right? That is all you have, and where the the thing Protestants often will bring in, as you know, Greg, is prayer, right? And prayer becomes the magic bullet. Then, so you're going to pray yourself out of all of these things. I, you'll you'll often hear Protestants talk about being I, I'm prayed up, like <clears throat> you know I filled my tank with prayer, and while while prayer has a place. 
I would say, again, what we learn from the Psalms is that the best prayers are telling God what he's told you. Um, prayer at its best is holding God to his promises. And so there is just that word. Um, and that, that may be, some could see that as a weakness for Protestantism in that, like, that's all you have. I would say that Protestants right now do consider that a weakness. Right. And, and it, you know, sola scriptura is part of that, but even more so is, of course, the modern period. I'm just a thinking thing. And they've involved, right, they've imbibed the idea of, um, yeah, and we've we've doubled down so that, I mean, modern Protestantism is in some ways like a Wahhabi Islam, <clears throat> you know, like this, like just strictly, um, not like I'm not making a one-to-one. Mm. Sunni versus Shia, whatever. But like you're going to strip all the things from religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where I'm going with it. For Lutherans, we have not only a word in that, like Mike or Greg are going to try to say the right thing. We have the word who became flesh. We have baptism, the waters into which Christ himself went first and put his death and resurrection. We have the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. And we have the absolution, which is the at the end of the day, the ultimate word that we ought to be speaking to the despairing. And I say that not only for pastors, but if you are dealing with your children or your parents or your spouse or a friend, declare the grace of God unto them. Not as a called and ordained servant of the word. You're not that. Um, but as a Christian, um, these words, and this is where I think Lutheranism tries to bridge a gap in this because the Bible I think does because it's incarnational um, but it's interesting to me that that we'll fall back on pray your way out of it or get prayed up or we'll fall back on we just entirely hand it to the counselors or even worse we try to become the counselors without studying it um, rather than uh, hey I don't and I no hey, how about we go to the font? Stick your hand in there. You feel that water, right? Or um, confession absolution. Yeah, here's confession absolution. Here's the body and blood of Christ. Uh, so that a, a remedy for despair is in that way Christ himself, right? Sola Scriptura isn't meant to be, you know, I made the Sunni or Wahhabi. It's not supposed to be like just words on a page. Um but it's the viva vox, it's the living word of, of God. And I, I wonder if sometimes we forget the dynamis, the, the power that God has given to us as Christians yeah, it's somewhere in those times. The, the, the gospel power to save, and we extend that to the, the word. God's creative work can create out of nothing. It's not nothing, and, but it's not a magical formula. formula. It's not an ex opera operata. But it's not just a university hall lecture. It does something. And it does something in relation. Right? It's spoken to you by a neighbor. It's it's both vertical and horizontal. Also noteworthy about that is just it also happens in the time that God wants it to happen as well. So I, I think I get very impatient with the Holy Spirit. Um, If I see someone in despair, I want them to be out of it before they leave my office. So so I'm going to put a lot of pressure on myself to find that right passage Mm -hmm. or to find that right Bible story. Um, 
just understanding it's better for me to understand um, God knows how this story ends. I don't, but this is the place he has put me today. Um, so I'm going to, uh, to bring to this person what I can and let God do the work. Leave, leave room for the Holy Spirit to and, function in the way that he said he would. And maybe in that connection, and then we'll have to wrap up because Michael has a Zoom call, but if I can just throw to you guys, um, maybe some of the challenge in this also comes from misunderstandings of what the word faith means or the nature of faith, um, so that I, if I misunderstand what faith is, then I easily fall into despair because faith becomes something I'm going to measure. It's attached to joy or to a certain amount of assent to knowledge. And I'm not saying the, the three parts of faith aren't helpful. It's, it's talked about as a virtue in our modern world. Faith yeah. is a virtue. And then if I misunderstand what faith is as, as a Christian ministering to a fellow Christian, and I'm usually ministering there in the Wauwatosa, everyone a minister sense. So what we're doing one-on-one, I would play the come to the wells of it there. But, um, but in the sense of uh, that horizontal neighbor relationship, if I misunderstand what faith is, then I do feel like there's this thing in them that I, bo- like, boom, I'm going to turn it on, I'm going to get it back going uh, what is maybe helpful to remember about faith as we talk about what despair is? Because the person who thinks they're despairing thinks they've lost faith. Yeah, I think uh, there's a few things here. One is faith is actually very difficult to define, much like life is difficult to define. And I'm thinking broader here, not just in it as a theological concept, but uh, it's something, it's cognitive, but it's not fully cognitive, right? Uh, The infant trusts mom, not because the infant said, well, she was good for me for three trimesters, and so I think I'll put my, I'll think I'll trust her. I don't have any reason not to, right? And I don't think you can just explain that away by instinct either, Knowing the voice of mother, even of father, even before the before birth, um, is something pretty powerful. And the other thing is, when we use the word unbelief and belief, it's always connected to the object of faith or unbelief. So when we say unbelief and belief, we mean someone who trusts Jesus or someone who doesn't. But that unbeliever is not really an unbeliever. The the unbeliever just trust in something else. Like you don't have the option. There is not an option for you to not have faith. That is that is that is an unding. It's not a thing. Unbelief is a form of faith. Right. Yeah. You you are going to trust something whether it be your own reason, whether it be science, whether it be whatever. Even the nihilist has a concept of of what he believes is true. So it seems to me that the most important question always for humanity and in general, the word faith, but specifically Christian faith is the object of faith. The object of faith is what makes faith valuable, effective, beneficial, right? Uh, I can believe in something that's, that's false that does not benefit me. In fact, it'll probably harm me, right? So uh, 
if we make it a virtue, like, oh, that person is faithful. Well, everybody's faithful to something, right? Or if we make it this thing that I have to muster up, then my faith is in my faith, and that seems to eat, eat itself up. And just piggybacking on that, then it also becomes something that I must strive for. And if I'm striving for that thing, that will not help me in my despair. All it will do is remind me that I haven't quite grasped my faith the way that I want it, that I want to. Um, We, uh, here at WLC, we hire seminary students to work for us 20 hours a week. And, And I had a seminary student a couple of years ago who was very fond of saying faith harder. So when everything is going bad, just faith harder. Mm-hmm. And obviously he was using it sarcastically for those who didn't quite pick up on that. But just this idea of facing harder. If I have despair, then I have to faith harder, then my despair will go away. Lose the sight of the object. Yeah. Faithless. Yes, yeah. faithless, yeah. And and this is maybe helpful as, just as a reminder too, not to delve into dogmatics, but even when we talk about strong or weak faith in the New Testament, we're never talking about saving faith when we talk about strong or weak faith. Yeah. We're, we're talking about strong or weak faith with respect to a certain teaching. So the disciples in the boat at sea in the storm had weak faith that they were coming out of that storm. Yeah. It didn't mean that they had despaired of the fact that Christ is Messiah. I can, um, I can have weak faith but still have saving faith. And, and so... Um, a very comforting passage to me is always when uh, Isaiah says, the smoldering wick I will not extinguish. Right, The bruised reed I will not uh, break. Um, one, of the, one of my favorite times, and it, this is the old Adam speaking, um, I got in trouble in high school, was uh, we had a substitute teacher in art class. And art class, like your senior year, your art class and gym class, it's just the degenerates. And I say that as a fellow degenerate. Like, you're taking, like, four gym and art class. I don't know how it was at um, at MLS, or was it California Lutheran Gregory? But mm-hmm. at a big public school, like, I had the ability to do that. There were certain choirs that were for the not talented. Yeah, and so a similar I was thing. I in that. that. Well, I'm proud of you. Class. We handed out, we handed out programs at the concert. Nice. The... Uh, so we had a substitute teacher, and this was just throwing her to the wolves. And, uh, and they were working on the roof, and we were supposed to be drawing cattails. Anybody who's ever seen cattails know they're like a reed, right? Mm-hmm. Down by a, a creek or a river. And, uh, and she stepped out, and we took those cattails, and we just beat them on the table so that there was fuzz everywhere. Mm-hmm. And she came in, and we said, a worker fell through the roof. Mm-hmm. And she ran to go get the principal. And we cleaned up as best as we could, and we put the cattails back, and we were just drawing like angels. When she came back, and she was speechless, and she, I'm, my new man is not proud of this. She broke down in tears, and she said, I swear, there was stuff everywhere, whatever. Well, you know why we got in trouble. Because you can't, a, a, a bent cattail, you can't straighten back out. It, uh, it's clearly... And we hadn't done that great a job cleaning up. We were in, we were in art and gym for a reason. But uh, right, a, a bruised reed is is good for nothing, right? A bent reed is good for nothing. A smoldering wick, well, 
what good is that? It's about to go out. It just se- forever seems about to go out. I remember being um, an altar boy, and you'd have when the oil was running low on the candles, and you could see it kind of flickering at the end, and we always kind of like liked waiting to see when it would actually go out. You're just waiting for it to die. Right? That's what it feels like you're doing. But in a, through Isaiah, God says in Isaiah 42, the great messianic chapter, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And so I think um, in the midst of despair, it's important to remember, as, as Michael noted, who is your faith in? Because the temptation in the midst of doubt and despair and all those words we've used is to look within. Um, or to see faith as, as as something that, like in geometry class, you could measure. Like there was some formula for it. Um, I don't know, what was the f- formula for volume or whatever? Mm. You know what I'm talking about? I remember some old horse caught a horse tripping on acid. That was triangles. Okay. Did you have that <laughs> one? You're losing us. Okay. I have no idea but when what's we, going on right now. You should wrap this up. I'm going to. You're going all over the place. <laughs> when we make faith a quantity, something measurable, when we make um, it something internal, then all we can have at the end of the day is uncertainty. Um, when you when your faith feels weak, when you're not sure how much you have, all you can do is look to Christ. And at the end of the day, in the midst of death, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of despair, uh, that's the only way uh, that you can let the bird fly is to look outside of yourself to remember faith is a gift and to remember that faith is in Christ. I think we're muted hypothetically. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a tank I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down